Welcome to Valley Community Church. Our Sunday sermons are available online to help you grow in your Christian faith. Our messages are practical and applicable truths from the Bible for today's life challenges. And now, Senior Pastor David Schmaltz. If you've never been a part of a small group, you know, we all have in one, maybe at one point in our life, going back to school, going back to different things that we've been involved in, and there's so much power in the identification of being a part of a group of people that you can look to face-to-face, develop more than just a, um, a shallow kind of a relationship, where you can really begin to open your life up to another person and share and pray and stand with them, and they stand with you, and, and uh, you can gather around so many different uh, uh, ideas and um, likes and focuses. And so that's what we're about here at Valley, and I want to talk as we lay the foundation for small groups. I want to give you kind of a, a refresher course, if you will. If you've not been through our membership course uh, in the last, really in the last year, which does account for so many here at Valley, We've done a lot of work in refining. Pastor Jamie, in our membership class, he's very faithful to, for those who want to become a part of Valley, to hear about who we are, what our focus is, what we believe our vision is. And what we're finding is that, you know, if you've been here a couple of years, and especially those who've been here during the time that I have, which does include so many different people, that uh, we do, as we grow, it's required for us to kind of reevaluate, okay, God, and to refine what God has given us to do. So critical for us to not only understand what it is God that has for us, because it does, I mean, the, over, the, the overarching sense of what God has called us to do as a local church never changes, but how we carry that out, the strategy and the structures, in order to help us be diligent with what God has given us to do, uh, is so critical. And so we've, uh, we've been on top of that as much as we can be in refining, again, what our vision is so that we can replicate that, we can communicate it, and uh, we can pass it on to those who become a part of us. The larger we grow, the easier it is for that to get lost, for people to come in and, uh, you know, your heart is, hey, I like what you do, what you're called to be your, your uh, definition, your focus on what the church is called to be. It's easy for people to want to come and are drawn to that. It's a little tougher for us to constantly communicate, okay, this is who we are. This is what we're called to do. This is what we feel like from Scripture the New Testament church is supposed to be doing in our modern times. And so uh, we spend a lot of effort, a lot of time, a lot of prayer in refining that so a person who wants to become a part of Valley can come right in read what we have in our bylaws, read in our articles of faith, go through the, uh, the next step um, uh, series of classes that we have and so that you can come out saying, okay, I get it. I know who Valley Community Church is. I know my part and how I'm going to flow with what God has called this church to do. So today I want to really just give you what we would consider kind of the theological underpinnings, which I think is so critical for you to understanding everything. So I'm just going to just jump right in. In Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, matter of fact, you're going to see what I'm sharing with you out on that wall right there. When you come, the moment you come through those double doors, you see a, a sign on the wall that shares these four uh, distinctives. So if you've ever wondered, I'm going to kind of, kind of uh, explain this a little bit more. Uh, again, you can hear Jamie teach this. We have it all written out in a class for you. 
uh, in Exodus 6. It says, Say therefore to the sons of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from their bondage. I will also redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. Then I will take, uh, take you excuse me, for my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. This is a very specific story. We know it. But what's interesting is that this coming out of Egypt became a metaphor. It became a story that the, Egypt, the Israelites based almost all of what they, who they were. What, everything that took place there in relationship and God setting them free, again, became this overarching story, pattern, if you will, for the Egyptians. I'm sorry, the, the Israelites. And we see it continuing today for us as Christians. And we see that the church continues to see this very, pro, the same process taking place in God's people. And so we're going to kind of break that down for you this morning. We're going to call them promises because that's exactly what you see in Scripture. Here's God saying, I am going to do this. I am the Lord, and this is what I'm going to do for you. And that's straightforward. And, and so we know God never changes. We know that God's heart, God's desire to bring fulfillment and change and grace into the hearts of his people, it never changes. This, this is what God did for his people then. That's what God does for his people now. Okay, so they're promises. And so what I want to do is break them down as we do in our notes, if you have that, or, and again, you'll, you'll hear this in our classes. So you see four distinct promises that God gives us in Scripture here. Number one, he says, I'm going to bring you out. Secondly, I will free you from being slaves. Interesting, isn't it? Three, I will redeem you. And then fourthly, I will take you as my own people. So this is interesting that we see these very same distinctives taking place in the hearts of the disciples of Jesus Christ. We see them as they begin to form into what is called the church. These four things are continuing to take place into the hearts of believers. And so we feel it's very important for us to focus on that. And the more we see it, the more we can spend time saying, okay, this is what God wants to do. You know, and we just finished this series, and we remember what God called. What is our calling? It's to be what? Free. We have a calling to be free. And our command is to love God and love people, isn't it? So look at this. Let's look at the first one. He says, I will bring you out. That is salvation. Salvation. See, when we're born, we're born into sin. When we're born, we've talked about that original sin, that we're born lost. We're born without hope in this world. And that's a sad thing breaks your heart. But God provided, God made a promise saying, I will save you. I am going to sin. He said that to, he said that to Adam. He said, look, you've brought sin into this world through your disobedience, but I am going to redeem you. I am going to save you. I'm going to send a savior. And of course, we know that part of the story, don't we? His name is Jesus. And so what we find is that this is, not only does God save us the moment we give our lives to Jesus, but that happened as a result of someone else understanding the Great Commission. Someone else understanding in your life, well, I can't keep this good news to myself. I need to share this with someone else. And so not only do we experience salvation, we understand its importance to pass it on, which comes right out of the Bible there in Matthew chapter 28, 19 and 20. Look at it. It says here, 
This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything. Everybody say everything. Yeah, we don't pick and choose the words of Jesus, do we? No, we're not supposed to do that. He says, obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Wonderful promise called the Great Commission in Scripture. It is our marching orders. And every Christian should be confident in how to lead someone else to Christ. Now, why? Why should every Christian be confident in knowing how to share the gospel? I'll tell you. It's because you understand it yourself. Got it? When you understand something, you can teach it. I love knots. I love so many different things. But I used to, you know, I went through my little period where I was tying knots, and I love about, I can tie about 30, 40, 50 of them. And, I, and then I realized, you know, for me to be able to, re, uh, to reinforce what I was learning about knots, what would I do? Teach my kids. And, of course, they never wanted to learn it, but it's okay. I'd stop them as they're walking by. Hey, Ben, 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 come here. Do you know how to tie a Palomar knot? No, Dad. I do not know how. Yeah, we're going to learn today. <laughs> That's true. I'm looking for, I'm, I'm walking around going, hey, who needs a knot tied, man? <laughs> Ask Jamie, he knows. <laughs> I drive him crazy on tying those uh, signs outside. I was like, did you use a buntline hitch? <laughs> no, Pastor David, I just tied a knot, man. <laughs> Am I right, Jamie? <laughs> anyway, but we reinforce what we have learned by doing what? Telling others. The more you tell others, the more confident you grow in what you know. And it grows deeper in you. It, it, it settles in because it becomes something of confidence. It grows into just knowledge to what? Conviction. And so, uh, you know, there's so many other things I want to say about that. But as a church, we feel that it's so important not only to, for us to recognize that we're saved, that Jesus has plucked us out of the world, that, that, that we're just so excited about what he has done inside us and that we're not going to hell. We are going to spend eternity with him. We are going to see the patriarchs, the saints. We get a chance to meet Peter, James, John, Andrew, and a bunch. We get to see our loved ones who've gone beyond before us. That is, I mean, that's enough right there to get you excited, isn't it? So we settle in on that, and that excitement bubble, bubbles over, and we want to tell someone else. I am saved from eternal damnation. Therefore, those around me who do not know them, where are they going? You don't have to say it out loud. It's no fun to say, but it's the truth. And there's no way around that. That is the gospel becoming reality. That's the gospel getting, going from here to here. And then there's a drivenness that grows inside us. It's a conviction. Why, why is, you know, some people call evangelicals, they use it like a cuss word. Oh, he's an evangelical. Well, so is Jesus. That's all he did. Matter of fact, when the disciples all came around, and he said, you know, you guys are following me because of the loaves and the fishes. You're coming around because I fed you. He said, can we go deeper than that? I did all that so that you understand that I am the bread of life. You must eat my flesh and drink my blood. It's not all about the food. It's about me. It's about putting your hope 
in the Son of God, the salvation of the world. When we get that inside us, folks, when we, it, when we breathe it, eat it, drink it, when, we, when it's in our very fiber of our DNA, folks, that begins to pour out. It has to pour out. Salvation is not in a vacuum. It's not just, you know, we give our life to Christ, it's over. No, salvation exists in our lifetime. It is something that it, we, can't, we can't just sit there and say, well, I've got mine. I don't know about anybody else's drive. The thousands of people that drive down Julian Allsbrook every day. Well, too bad. I mean, it's like we want to hold signs out there and say, we got ours, sorry about you. And we can joke about that, we can laugh. But folks, look, that's not what Jesus has called us to do, is he? Has he? Mm -mm. He's called us out. He's given us salvation. And now the whole concept of salvation needs to invade our thinking, it needs to invade our processes. What we even do as a church, it has to, or we're not honest with the whole concept of salvation in the first place, or we don't understand what Jesus told us to do. Matthew 18, Matthew 28, right? He says, now therefore, you guys have got yours. No, go and make disciples. Go tell everybody else. Pretty critical, pretty key. So that's the first step. That's what God did. He came, he said, my Egyptians are in bondage. Oh, I'm going to set you free. That's what God wants to do, and he's called us to be a part of that. Proven by Jesus' command. He could have said many other things. He could have said, sit tight, go find your mountain, I'll do the rest. Didn't do that, did he? Therefore, go and make disciples. Secondly, what else did, what is the other, our second promise? I will free you from being slaves. Okay? I will free you from being slaves. One thing I want to point out before I keep going, you'll notice all four of these is something God has done for us and something God has called us to do. Okay? Catch that. That's important. Secondly, I will free you from being slaves. God sees, goes, calls Moses aside to the burning bush. He says, my children are in bondage. They're building the bricks. They're making the, 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 the pyramids. They're doing all the work. They're building this huge city for the pharaoh. And he says, I want, to get him, I want to set him free. I promised him I would. Abraham saw the darkness. He knew what was going to happen. It was prophesied ahead of time. Moses said, it's time for me to see my people set free. I've called you to do it. So God's got a heart to set people free from slavery. And folks, that is exactly what's going on. So when we come to Christ, we give our lives to him. We, 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 we see that wonderful free gift of what Jesus did for us. We come and we're saved. But now, God wants to do something more. God wants what we're called to, freedom. God wants to get, can I put it this way? Can I put it this way? God wants to get the Egypt out of us. Because these people, this whole generation of Israelites, have grown up in Egypt, have been influenced by Egypt. And that is all <laughs> confirmed by what happens in the 40 years in the desert. Constantly, God has to deal with the Egyptian mentality. And anytime anything goes wrong, where do they want to go back to? Egypt. Not enough water here. Let's go back to Egypt. Not enough food here. Let's go back to Egypt. This is not going well. Let's go back to Egypt. God had to get the Egypt out of them. In the same way, God's got to get it out of us. 
So he wants freedom. God, God didn't just say, oh, look, I've got your fire insurance. I've got your, sal- I've got your salvation covered. You're going to go to heaven. No, no, no. He says, I've given you a life, and I want you to experience my freedom. And we believe here at Valley that that's what we're called to be a part of, which is why we preach the way we do, which is why we teach what we teach, which is why we make the Bible the cornerstone of everything we do, which is why we offer the small groups that we offer, okay? And, of course, they're, they're creative, but, but we'll, we're going a little bit deeper here this time around. I'll tell you a little bit more about that here in just a second, actually, on, on our next point. But let's look at this. It says, believers are called to live in this world. Yeah, we are. But not to be of it. Paul made this point pretty clear. He said, look, there's a way to live in this world, but did not let it become to influence your character, to change you. We're supposed to be salt and light. Jesus hit on that many times. He said, look, you're going to be here, but I want you to be the influencing agent, not the other way around. I want to be able, God is speaking here, I want to be able to recognize who are my disciples and who are not. And how will that be found? Because we're more acting more like him. We're the salt. When we walk into the room, as salt does, it changes the chemical composition. It changes the spiritual climate. When you walk in, there should be that sense. And there's lots of different ways. I remember when I first got saved, man, when I'd walk into the, to the locker room, all the guys would be like, shh, shh, shh. Moose is here, man. Because they knew, man, they are going to get it. If they were over there cussing, I'd say, hey, shut up. Get the towel. You don't, don't make me do it. I jump up on the on the uh, the bench and start preaching. They tell me to shut up, get down. Our faith, our passion, should be evident. Should be evident, and that comes as a result of freedom. You get excited. Believers are called to be free. Okay? We're called to fellowship with one another in ways that are personal so that we can encourage one another our walk with Christ. And that's something, that, that freedom is going to take place, again, not in a vacuum. It's going to take place in the context of the church. It's going to take in the context of, of, of even more intimacy than all of us just facing the front as we're doing right now. Can't, we can't go any deeper than what we're doing right now. Okay? So we've got to get face to face. Jesus gives us a perfect example he leads the first small group. It's 12 together. It says, okay, guys, I'm going to throw truth out into the middle of you, and I'm going to watch what it does. You know? So it says, he, he preaches, you know, the first shall be last and the last shall be first, and then just see what it does. Get out of the way. You've got all these sinful men who are going to be wrestling over that truth because what? A couple of them branch off and go to Jesus and bring their mama with them, by the way, which is interesting on Mama's Day. Hey, Mom, would you come with us? We need to tell Jesus we want to be in charge. Of course, mamas are always good for that. Jesus says, look, it's not for me to do that. Guys, first shall be last, last shall be first. The greatest of you will be the servant of all. That just blew up the whole small group concept, didn't it? Truth, freedom. And that's what truth does. It is the truth of Scripture that will set us free. So, again, another distinctive. So God wants to bring salvation into our lives for us to understand it and to share it. Secondly, God wants us to be freed from the slavery that a sinful lifestyle produces. Okay? 
Jesus said that, look, you can't serve two masters. And most definitely, we're all, as Bob Dylan said so many, you know, many years ago, after his conversion, uh, you've got to serve somebody. And you will serve somebody. Better be Jesus than the alternative. So, we, 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 we provide these small groups, what we call life groups. We like that terminology, because that's the goal, for them to bring life, not for them to claw your skin off. You know, okay, you're going to be forced to go to a small group, which is why we, we like to offer them in what we call kind of a free market style. In other words, you, go, you, you and the Holy Spirit know what you need. You know the pace of your life. You know what's going on there. And so all we ask is you go back there and select and choose and go and find something that's going to fit into the context of your life. Don't find something that really, really is there, then help us find one that does. Okay, don't just walk away and say, well, you know, can't do this. No, 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 we'll help you. That's the flexibility of this thing, right? I mean, we, we flow with the body. The body, and there's another verse out there, I serve, I connect, I serve, I grow. And the verse under there says, and it's very good, Ephesians, talks about how the parts of the body feeds itself. In other words, what's cool is that we flow as, as there are gifts that are presented, as the needs, there, as, as we, we understand the, 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 the freedom process, the needs will be fulfilled by the gifts that are present. And that's good stuff right there, real good stuff. So God wants freedom, and God wants us to enjoy freedom, and so we need to make that a part of who we are. We need to focus on it. If that's what God did with the children of Israel and just say, hey, look, I'm going to save you from that but I'm going to set you free from the bondage of the world, the bondage of that being under the hand of the Pharaoh, under the hand of the devil, then we need to focus on that. We need to move toward freedom. We need to do what we can to allow freedom to, fo- uh, to, to grow and to expand and proliferate uh, among us. Okay. Thirdly, he says, I will redeem you. And that's restoration. Okay. Because not only are we saved from darkness, saved from eternal damnation, we are set free from the power of the enemy, okay? We're set free from the things that we learned while we were in the world. A lot of us, what we find after a period of time, I know it was about a, about a two-year mark in my walk with God, that I realized, wow, i got a lot of brokenness in me. I've got a lot more brokenness than I realized that Growing up in a home without Christ, growing up with parents who didn't know the Lord, growing up and doing so many things in the flesh, and in my, I didn't realize just how deep this brokenness had gone. Again, how much Egypt was in me. And not just, and, and I want to make that distinction. We're not just talking about uh, lies and, you know, um, the things of the world, sinful patterns. Not, no, really, I'm talking about really the damage that was done to us. And we not really know that. Our thinking processes, how we receive love from people, how we give love, you know? When, some, when that has been broken in someone, it is, it's, it's like being kind of blind and deaf, you know, in your soul. You, you don't know how to receive it. There's a, it the Bible calls it um, an infirmity. And a lot of times we'll come out of our time in the world with infirmities. 
And the people came to Jesus and healed, he healed those infirmities. He wants to do the same thing in our soul. So he wants to restore us, and that's a good thing. Too many times an evangelist might blow in, and I love evangelists, and I think they're important, and it's in the Bible. But sometimes an evangelist will just blow in, see thousands saved, but leave those poor people just going, what next? Because I'm excited about heaven, I'm ready to go right there, right now, only to find out, no, you're going to be here for a while. And you've got to interact with office mates. You've got to raise children. You've got to make a marriage work. You've got to connect with these, these creatures called people. And we've got to interact. And God wants to get in there and take truth, which is why most of the epistles are pretty much written by Paul to help the church figure out the people problem. They wrote them. What are we going to do? We got whole churches full of a bunch of sinners, man. And these people are hurting one another. What do we do with when what do we do with this? And what do we do with that? I mean, Corinthians, my goodness, a study in the church being broken. And so Paul responded, and we have the benefit of that of of knowing how to apply truth in that way. So God is interested in restoration. And what we've done is, is really get you, it's kind of a Kickstarter program because it's not inclusive. And Jamie, you would agree with this. The next step is just a Kickstarter. I mean, so what we do with the four different steps, the four different classes that we have in what we call next step. And if you've never been through that, you really need to be because that really helps you kind of get your moorings to find out, okay, this is, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. This is my place. This is how I find to, to get into the groove to find the track, if you will, so that I can run. So you go to the next step and you find out ultimately you know, who we are, what we're called to be, and what we're doing, but more importantly, who you are, what you're called to do, and how specifically you've been designed to function within the body. That's critical, really critical, my friends, because I find that it's a real temptation for Christians to want to just stay outside the boundaries, to just kind of Follow along the army as it's moving along to just say, well, I'm not going to really, I, I don't really want to be in there because I don't want to be told what to do. I don't want to be told where's my place in the line in this battle. I'd rather just kind of, in the Civil War, they used to call them, uh, what do they call them? Regulars. Well, there were, there were regulars and then there were the irregulars. That's it, irregulars. And these guys were just free-ranging soldiers. It didn't fit well with anybody else, and so they just said, well, just go wreak havoc. Just come back and tell us what you've blown up and what you've burned down. But they were a real problem because they did a lot of things selfishly, too. It caused a lot of trouble, and they write whole books about it now. You might have heard a guy named Nathan Bedford Forrest. Yeah. So anyway, restoration. God wants to restore us. God wants to restore who we are called to really be. He wants to, it involves restoring our vision, restoring our values, how we live our lives, and then through the use of vehicles and how we meet. And what we believe as a church, it's, 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 it's right there in the Bible, that the church would gather in a large group setting in the temple, and then they met from house to house. We find no other uh, paradigm. We just really don't. And matter of fact, what you find is whenever there are lone wolves and irregulars, if we would call it that, you see damage. You see the lack of confrontation. You see the lack of change. But when the church met together from in the temple, they gathered together with a, a large identity. They worshiped 
They, they read the word of God together. They were a part of something that was big and changing the world. And when there was that sense of identity, you know, it's like when you walk into the game and you've got your, your Hurricanes hat on, right, guys? You're in. I mean, you feel a part of what's going on. Walk in there with a Detroit Red Wings hat on, not so much. And that's the way it is. Man, when we become a part of the church as a whole, there's something big, there's something, there's something uh, uh, that we identify to that, man, scriptures in the Bible come alive when we think of the church the, the, and, and, and then we're a part of it. Those promises become ours. God wants to restore that. Got to get in there. We got we to get involved in the small groups, the house-to-house stuff. See, when we talk about biblical vision, we understand it is to reach the world for Christ. When we talk about biblical values, we talk about loving God, loving people, and how that all breaks down. And when we talk about biblical vehicles, talking about Sunday services, weekly life groups, and outreach events. Now, this, here's the deal. This is where it gets a little tricky, okay? This is where Jamie and I and, uh, and all of us as a staff and, and the elders, too, we've been wrestling because as we continue to become successful with what God has called us to do, we realize we have to refine more of what we are specifically called to do, okay? What is our part? So what we have to say is, look, is, are we doing something that is not related to the vision? Are we doing something that's robbing energy from what we're really called to do? So if we look back at this, is what we're doing reaching people for Christ? If it's not, we need to reevaluate it, okay? If it doesn't have some form and sense of what we're called to be and to do as a local church that is called to change the world by reaching people for Christ, then maybe we need to really rethink that. So, and, 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 it, and it's, it's interchangeable, just for example. The softball team. We got guys who want to get together and hit the ball. So we just sit down with them and say, and say, look, we don't mind that. That is awesome. Can you make it an evangelistic thing? Can you see in some way that maybe there's a, a, a woman that's coming to, to Valley Community Church and her husband isn't a believer, but then, wait a minute, there's a softball team? Oh, cool. Yeah, but it's the church. Hey, can, can we sit down and talk about more than just softball? You see what we're doing here? We can bring intentionality. We can bring our values almost into anything we do as long as we remember what those are, right? Can I give you another example? You know, to get fit. You know, sometimes we, we, we get into our mind an ultimate goal, but we forget why we're doing it. So to get fit is, you know, is to, to eat right, to, to exercise and and to you know, keep the word of God in us and try to keep, help, keep healthy relationships, not get bitter towards people and try to make it right wherever we can to make ourselves spiritually, physically, and our soul fit. Sometimes we can forget what that's all about and why. Why would we be doing that? Why would I want to keep this temple of the Holy Spirit in good shape? Ah, the answer, you know, is in the question because we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are called to change the world. We are called to do some awesome things. And so 
Why do we need to be saved? Why do we need to experience freedom? Why do we need to be restored? Folks, so that we can love God and love people. We can love God and love people. Sunday services, what are we all about? Why do we do what we do? So we can love God and love people. Why do we have small groups? So we can love God and love people. And we can allow that and, and, and focus on that restoration that God wants to do in each one of us. And you know what you need. You go to the doctor of the Holy Spirit and say, I need this. So in, in light of this, what I'm excited about is we're starting to celebrate recovery in this semester of small groups. You'll see it signed up on the back table. This has been a very growing, powerful small group ministry that is focused on all the things that I've just shared with you. Among all the other small groups that we have going on, which there are many, we're adding to that Celebrate Recovery. So if you find yourself in need, if you've got a a life-dominating area of sin, uh, chemical dependence, an addiction of some kind, you know, as, as Paul described it, it's like a, a ball and chain, and you're not able to run freely with God because of this issue that is, that is wearing you out. We're not here to say, oh, well, you're unqualified, go away. No, we're saying, no, we've got a solution for that because God has saved you. God wants freedom in your life, and God wants to restore you. So we're providing that. We're providing that. And I'm excited about those who, in, who are going to be leading that and and uh, all the different small groups and ideas and the biblical truth that will be uh, flooded with that. And then finally, he says, I will take you as my own people. Okay? I will take you as my own people. And that is fulfillment. See, coming into a, an ultimate relationship with God, and, 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 and I think that's where a lot of Christians, unfortunately, they spend the majority of their life trying to feel worthy. Trying to feel, because there's so much damage in human relationships today, that is where we find so often people can't relate to a Heavenly Father because maybe they didn't have a very good father. They have a hard time relating to the intimacy and love of God because, you know, of not having a lot of that. But see, human relationships are only the pattern, they're only the, the typecast of what God wants to give us an intimacy that goes beyond our, our understanding, a closeness. A committed God who will never leave us nor forsake us. Isn't that what Jesus said? He's for us. He loves us. And he wants to work that in us. And so what he's going to say, what he is saying is, look, I'm going to save you. I want to bring you out of that bondage and into freedom. I want to restore you, clean you up, get you to where you're working the way you should be working in your mind, your will, your emotions. But now I want to use you. This is a very powerful thing that affects even our culture right now. Folks, having purpose is so critical to us as human beings. And I'm afraid that our society is going to learn that in a circular way. In other words, the further they pull away, which is why socialism and other things are so popular, it's kind of like, yeah, why do I have to do anything? Why can't I just kind of sit back and do what I want, which most often is called the law of diminishing interest, by the way, is we will become less and less productive, we'll become less and less feeling an importance. God has designed us to feel that way. God has designed us 
to put in a good day's work, to, to build, to, to reform, to, to use our skills and our talents and our, our uniqueness to improve this world. This, isn't that what God told Adam and Eve? Go, this is your garden. Now go, take, tend it. Make it something. Take it, I, I've, I've got all the building blocks for how you can cultivate this thing and make it just wonderful. In the same way, we're called to be that. So God has called us to feel, sense, and operate in fulfillment. He says, I'll take you as my own people. And so what it means is ultimately, so God has got a heart. God's got a goal. God is thinking things. Question is, do you know what that is? Do you know what's on the heart of God? That's pretty critical. If you can say, got it, I know exactly what God wants to do, and I'm in. Right? It's like God calling to Isaiah, God saying, he's looking around the world looking for those who will do what is on his heart. Isaiah looks around, sees nobody else, and says, here I am, Lord, send me. That's what God is looking for. The heart, the eyes of the Lord are roving across the earth looking for a human being who will say, please set me free, please restore me, and put me in motion with your heart. Folks, I'm here to tell you that is, in essence, what the local church is called to do. Pure and simple. Called to find fulfillment in the very heart of God. Finding our place. Now, what does that mean for us here at Valley? Well, it means, okay, well, we've got a part. We can't do everything. We are going to be defined by who we are where we live, what are our resources? The resources of people, resources of finances, resources of region, resources of vision and how that is specifically played out. And ultimately, that's what God has called me to do as a senior pastor, to evaluate that, okay? To listen to his words, to look at his scripture, to understand what are the strategies, to look far and wide to see what God is doing, and then go to him myself and say, yes, sir, Lord, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to lead these people? Because I understand what you want to do, and I understand it pretty well. How do we as a local church make that happen? So is now kind of our statement that you'll hear Jamie and I say many, many times. We do three things. We've kind of boiled it down to that. We do three things. We have a life-giving Sunday morning services, multiple. We offer multiple services because we want people to kind of have options. We're looking at uh, some other creative things in the future. Life-giving services. People can use their gifts here in the context of that. People on a Sunday morning know where to find God. It used to be they'd just look for the, pill, the, the, uh, the spiral and the little cross in the skyline. You don't see that anymore, not much anyway. But more and more people, when they, it's like the atheist, when he was confronted, I love this little story, but when he was confronted with uh, knowing that one of his, his logical statements, that he thought was a logical statement, he was proven wrong, he said, oh my God. <laughs> Here's an age atheist, Right? Even he, in all his unbelief, throws God into the mix. People know where to find him. We just need to be diligent to be the place where he can be found. Amen? So they walk in the door, and they hear a singing about him. They walk in the door, they're gonna be, we can be confident that they're going to hear words of grace, of love, 
and of truth from Scripture, His words, His invitation. Amen? We do three things. Sunday morning service, life-giving Sunday morning services, life-giving small groups. We believe we're called to have opportunity to open doors for Christians to get together in the context of a small group. Now, what is a, a small group? Now, there's studies on this. So sometimes, sometimes people want to challenge me and push me on that and say, look, I've been doing this for 30 years, man. I've been studying this stuff and studying this stuff. There, is, there are sciences that go with this. Small group is anywhere from about 12, the, the, the excellent size is about 12 to 15. And where do we find that? How about Jesus? 12 guys. Why didn't he choose 20? Why didn't he choose six? 12. 12. That's about the size where people can stay connected, share their lives, do things together without anything being wasted. Without one person feeling like, well, geez, Jesus, I mean, you got your Peter, James, and John. What about me? Well, those guys rose to the top because of their heart, not because of Jesus. They pursued him. Three things, Sunday morning services, small groups. And so three or four times a year, what we like to do is step back, reset, reevaluate what are the needs of the church, get leaders trained up, get those people, get kind of reevaluate, okay, what, is, what, what season are we in? What is God doing? Does God want to focus on families? Does God want to focus on marriage? Does God want to focus on this, that, and the other thing? That's our job. That's your job as leaders. We also have a leader step. We're going to help you get there. The final thing we do is evangelism. Can't forget that. Matter of fact, it's not the least. These things stand in equal portion. And that is, we try to look at things. Now, we're not going to be, you know, Adolf Hitler on this. We're not going to, we're not going to say if it, doesn't, you know, it, you know, if it doesn't involve evangelism in some way, you know, that you're going to get kicked out of the church or you're going to be publicly embarrassed, you know the least vision person of the week goes up on the screen. You know, no, we're not going to do any of that. But we're going to challenge you. And the beauty is you can almost take anything you do and make it evangelistic, if that is your heart. If it's your heart. Think of it. Think of anything that you like to do. If you go fishing and you go by yourself, just grab somebody else who know, needs to know the Lord. Man, you got them three, four hours in the boat. Tell them everything you know about Jesus. Where are they going to go? Right? There's all these different wonderful things we can do. So, Sunday morning services, small groups, life groups that have various creative uh, ways of seeing freedom and restoration take place in a Christian's life. And then finally, um, evangelism. So, we feel that finding a place here at Valley is critical. And you can make all these things. So we've got, this, we've got this, this threefold thing that we're called to do. We're asking you to find out what God has called you to be uniquely and find your place in those. To find your place, okay? It's like we've, you, you've come to the team. You've walked in the locker room and the coach comes up and says, this is who we are. This is our team philosophy. This is how we feel like we're going to win games. This is, what, this, these are our play, this is our playbook. Boom, this is how we're going to do our practices. This is who we are. This is the identity of our team, okay? That's really what we're kind of talking about here. And when you get a guy that comes in and just says, well, you know, I just, it's not the way we did it here. In our, and the team I came from, this is the way we did it. Well, that's awesome. Good for you. 
But this is our team. This is what we're called to be. This is how we feel like success is going to happen. And why do you think success will happen? You know, this is interesting, my final thought, is success is attributed more to unity than it is so much in what you're actually doing. And that is an amazing concept right there. You can take a ragtag group of five guys on a court, and if they're in unity and they work together, they can change the world. I mean, they can win games, game after game. You get a bunch of superstars, and everybody thinking how they know how to do it. Mm. Hate to say it. I had watched a few of those games myself. So we have what we call dream teams. We have a leadership track. In all of these things, folks, you can find your place. Ultimately, Jamie and I like to say, look, we're all called to be leaders. We should all be on that track. And you may not finish it. And in, in your leadership, your convocation, or the group that you're called to lead may, may not be that big. It may actually be quite big. We don't know. And we won't know until we've tested it out, right? So you've come to your comfort zone. You've come to you what, as Paul said, your, your, the measure of your gift, the measure of your rule, your ability to lead. If you say, I do, guys, you're a leader. Sorry, you're in the game. You are a leader. If you have children, boom. Ladies, you're a leader. If you're in an office setup, if you're in a situation where you've got management, you've got somebody that's put under you, you're in a situation, you are a leader. And if you walk out of your house, stepping out with a gospel full inside your heart, you're a leader. It's called you to do something with it. So we want to help you get there. We want to help you get there.